Sorry. Trust and obey. Sounds so simple. Yet so relevant. And just the opportunity to practice that on a daily basis. That's what Paul is trying to accomplish to these Corinthian believers. I remind you that Paul had been with in Corinth for a year and a half in Acts 18 and had led many to the Lord. And now he's been gone for a time. And you remember in the first, if you've been with us, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday morning. Um, you remember at the beginning, he starts by saying, it's been declared unto me by the house of Chloe that there were some issues, some things that the Corinthian believers were dealing with. Hasn't it been amazing in the first six chapters how the things that the Corinthians were dealing with 2,000 years ago are the same things we're dealing with yet today? You remember he started by dealing with their pride about their religious leaders. I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And um, just trying to help them see we're all one body in Christ Jesus. He went on to talk about all kinds of things. You remember in chapter 6 that we just finished a couple of weeks ago that Paul was dealing with their greed over taking other believers to courts of law. Why don't you deal with these things yourselves? Don't you know that you as believers are going to judge angels and um, in the future? And so when we get to chapter 7, it seems very clear that not only did Paul hear word, but he also got a letter. Notice with me verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Obviously, we don't know what this letter entailed that they wrote to the apostle. But we can tell by what he wrote the essence of what they were dealing with and what they were concerned about. And that's where we get into these four areas of application. I mentioned them at the beginning. Let me mention them again. He's going to talk about marriage things. He's going to talk about people that are unmarried. He calls them widows. He calls them virgins in the text. Um, He talks about um, their past, some of them being Jewish, and circumcision and not circumcision. And also he talks about their station in life. Some of them at the very time that Paul's writing are serving as slaves in the city of Corinth. And Paul wants to apply one principle to all of these areas. And I hope to convey that this morning um, and help us to see the significance of abiding in our calling. We looked at verse 20. And again, those words call and abide are used several times. They're used earliest is in verse 8. There's a lot in the middle And they're used in the last verse, verse 40. So I want us to think about what is it that God would have for us today that we need to abide in our 
calling. There's a couple of aspects of that that we'll look at. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I need your help today. A long chapter, much significance here, and sensitivity maybe as well. So I pray that you would guide every word, everything that's said. I pray that it would line up perfectly with the truth that you have here, and that you would minister your truth to every heart. We sang, speak, O Lord. And you have spoken here. So you guide our thoughts. Help us to be quick to obey and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice the first thing that Paul addresses, and he addresses it actually a couple, three places in the text here in chapter 7. He addresses marriage. And um, I want us to focus on verse 3 for a few minutes here. We'll come back to 1 and 2. We're going to take, he, he goes back and forth here between married and unmarried and then ties in these other aspects as well in the chapter. So stay with me here and uh, I hope to make it clear this morning. So how do you abide in your calling as a married person? Look at verse 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency." But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. I want us to think about that phrase, do benevolence. Do benevolence this morning. When you think about that phrase, we understand that Paul is talking about, if you check the words out, literally it means kindness. Dutiful kindness. And so, how does that apply here to what he's talking about to married folks? Well, it's, first of all, I want to mention to you, it's used, that same Greek phrase is used one other time only in the scripture. It's found in Ephesians 6, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with, here's the phrase, good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Paul is saying that our ultimate responsibility as married folks, and probably for the most part, we have married folks in here this morning. For the most part, Our responsibility is to show our service to the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. I can't remind us enough that in every marriage there are struggles. And every struggle is a struggle because in some way, shape, or form, we haven't drawn and are not drawing closer to the Lord. You cannot separate 
your marriage problems from your situation with the Lord Jesus Christ. I remind us all the time, here's a husband, here's a wife. And as we're growing to Christ, um, we need to be focused on him. And in turn of focusing on him, we become what? Closer to each other. Now, there are some areas here that Paul is specifically addressing. And we will be sensitive this morning. But I find three of them in our text. Three areas of dutiful kindness, or as the King James says, do benevolence. First of all, unselfish physical intimacy. Notice verse 4 and 5. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud, that is deprive not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. This physical intimacy aspect that Paul is addressing here is a sensitive topic. And we're going to be discreet this morning, but I want to point out from the text There are two reasons that this is sensitive. First of all, it is time sensitive. Did you notice that in the text? Defraud ye not except for a time. The importance of acknowledging that when you get married, you two become, what does it say? One flesh. And when it comes to physical intimacy, it is of primary importance that you don't focus on your selfish self, but you focus on the other person, their needs, and particularly in this area here, first mentioned physical intimacy. The second thing that you notice is maybe the ultimate bottom line that Paul is saying is found at the end of verse 5. You come together again that Satan tempt you not for your in continency. Satan is having a heyday in the world with what God has designed. Sexual intimacy. I am um, on a little bit of a journey to when I hear people use the phrase Well, you got to have safe sex. Could I just remind us that God never made sex dangerous? You with me? When is it dangerous? When it's outside of God's parameters. It mentions fornication here for single people. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for married people, it's adultery. That's the only time it's dangerous. God never designed it to be unsafe in any way, shape, or form. The problem with this matter of sexual intimacy is that Satan is doing all he can to distort in every way, shape, and form what God has intended to procreate the earth and to bring up future generations of champions for the Lord Jesus Christ. You with me? 
You say, oh, Brother Francine, I'm not sure you should preach on this. It's in the book. I will tell you, when I started 1 Corinthians, I've had many a prayer about, Lord, there are some tough areas there. I don't know. I don't know. But you can see it right here. There obviously was a concern in those days. Can I remind you again what Corinth was like? It's like our modern-day Las Vegas, Nevada. And I hate to always pick on Las Vegas. We could say it's like our Kansas City. It's like New York. It's like Chicago. It's filled with idolatrous sexual immorality is what it's filled with. All over the country is what we're dealing with here. And so God is saying through the apostle here by inspiration of the Spirit that We must abide in our calling. And if you're married this morning, your dutiful kindness involves not demanding selfish ways, but living in a way that gives your body to the other person. Now go with me, if you will, to verse 10. I told you I'm going to skip around here because he does. Verse 10 says, And unto the married, he had just gone over a section for the unmarried, but verse 10, he comes back to it. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Paul is saying, kindness is not to be a distant act. You can write letters, you can send text, and you can send flowers. There's a lot of things you can do from a distance. But God is saying kindness needs to be shown forth in our homes every day to one another. We have a number of couples in here that have been married a good amount of time, a long time. Can I remind you that the longer you've been married, the easier it is to let kindness fade away. Forget about acts of kindness or live in the past. Well, I did that for you for many years. That ain't going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. This aspect here is, I call it, undivided proximity. Not only unselfish physical intimacy, but undivided proximity. Go down with me again. He comes back to this. Look at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 33. He says, But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, he's not talking here negatively about worldliness. He's talking about the necessity of a husband caring with kindness for his wife. He says, um, verse 34, there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Paul is making it very clear that it's important that you spend time 
together. When is the last time you took your wife out on a date, gentlemen? When's the last time you did something um, exactly what she wanted to do? You had no um, input in it other than, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's what we'll do. Now, I want you to notice, too, though, because I don't want to pick on us men. I don't want us to feel too bad this morning. Um, Notice there's a reciprocity here, isn't there? Did you notice it in the text? Um, Talks about, um, in verse 3 where we're at, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, dutiful kindness, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The importance of you and I looking, if we're married, we'll get to the unmarried in a minute, if we're married, abiding in our calling, what's our calling? Dutiful kindness. It's clearly here in the text. Um, In fact, in verses 14 through 17, you get another aspect here, and this is a factor that can happen in every church. And that is, and, and same in Corinth. Here's an ungodly city. Paul goes, proclaims the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. His death, his burial, and his resurrection to have eternal life. And a number of Corinthians get saved. But as you know, and this may be true probably in many households here, sometimes one of the spouses can get saved and the other remain unsaved. Can happen, right? And what he's talking about here is the importance of abiding, staying in that relationship for the purpose. And this is what I wanted you to see. Look at verses 14 through 17. And I appreciate you letting me skip around. This chapter is one of those that doesn't just follow along exactly. And I wanted to divide it between these four topics. But look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So focus on peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? You see this question? He's saying, do you realize that your salvation and your loving kindness will be and can be the very thing that will win your unsaved spouse to the Lord Jesus? Isn't that true? It is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. That says to me that we need to be ambassadors of God's goodness. Where should it come first and foremost? In our marriages. Would you agree? In our marriages. We're to be kind. Kind. That sounds easy too, doesn't it? Just be kind, guys. Just be kind. Yet how many times? We do things, we say things, we demonstrate attitudes of unkindness. Unkindness. 
In fact, these, by the way, this is not a text to prove it doesn't matter who you marry. It's a text dealing with a couple where they get married before they're saved. And after they've been married for a time, one spouse gets saved, the other doesn't. What is it that should be done? What is it that is the priority? And if you're married, the priority is, is, and I want you to keep that word in mind, dutiful kindness. Now, by dutiful, I don't mean somebody whips you into being kind. I mean, you understand that your primary duty is to demonstrate kindness. Paul is making it clear here in our text that he's not advocating necessarily for singleness or marriedness. That's something that God determines and God directs. But he is saying if you are married, you have a primary responsibility to care for the needs of your spouse. It is reciprocal. You need to focus on your choices and your opportunities to be kind to one another. So Paul here is saying, listen, your priority is to abide in your calling. All right, you get, you get saved after you've been married and you're saved and your wife is not or vice versa. Stay in your calling as a married couple. Don't give up. And he gives a key there. And that's the key I try to emphasize here on this first part. Dutiful kindness. Paul calls it due benevolence. Kindness, kindness, kindness. I challenge you this morning. To ask the Lord, what could I do? in my marriage to demonstrate greater degrees of kindness. Would you think about that for just a minute here? That is exactly why this chapter is here. Because Paul is concerned about those married, believing Corinthians. And he wants them to abide where they are. And while they're abiding, it's not tolerating marriage. It's a loving marriage, demonstrating kindness. Do we expect the world to be kind? I hope not. They're not. We ought not to be shocked by unkindness when it's a lost person. But as believers, what should it be? Absolutely the opposite. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, what? Hath forgiven you. I've applied that to young people in our school hundreds of times. But I think one of the primary aspects here of that kindness is really in our marriages. What could I do to demonstrate a greater degree of kindness in my marriage. I was teasing Brother Hockrider this morning. <clears throat> I actually was congratulating him. 50 years of marriage. They just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And I think he made some comment like, it proves it can be done. And uh, 
That's exactly right. With God's grace and God's strength, it can be done. Is it easy? No. Is it hard to be kind all the time? Absolutely. Aren't you glad God is kind all the time? For your good? Even when he chastens us? It's not for his pleasure. It's for our help to become more like him. Secondly, unmarried. And again, there's different categories here of unmarried. He talks about virgins in verse 34. But the main point that God is making here is that singleness is a gift from God. Look at verse 6. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. He's talking about marriage or not being married. And God gifts different people different ways. So what, what is the priority then for those that are unmarried? It is found in the very first two verses of our chapter. Notice what it says. Now concerning the things whereof we wrote unto me, ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now that's not cautioning against shaking hands. That's talking about the marriage relationship. Okay? Um, nevertheless, and by that I mean a physical marriage relationship without legally being married. Nevertheless, to avoid, what's the next word? Say it loud. Fornication, a big problem in our country and a problem then. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Paul is saying here that to the unmarried, your priority is to stay morally pure. Morally pure. We live in a world that's advocating anything but moral purity. It's unbelievable what we're exposed to on a daily basis. And yet, this word fornication literally is the idea of immorality. And it even has the idea, if you look it up in the original, it has the idea of idolatry. Letting someone become an idol in your life. Notice verse 9. Talking to the unmarried here. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. Paul is saying, do everything you can to avoid fornication. Morally pure people. You know what that's going to take today, folks? That's going to take a lot of reading in the Bible and a lot of less TV and a lot less internet and a lot less other things. Would you agree with me? I'm reminded in the book of Peter, Peter has something to say about Lot from the Old Testament. 
And I always find this a challenge in the day and age in which we live. Lot vexed his righteous soul by seeing and hearing every day. I'm grateful for my eyesight, aren't you? I'm grateful I can hear. But oh, do we have to be careful what we see and what we hear. Are you with me this morning? There are a lot of things you're going to have to avoid. A lot of aisles you're not going to be going down. A lot of streets you may not drive on because of what's there for us to see. And I realize there are unintentional seeing. I like what Job says. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You know what he's saying? He's saying seeing happens. And sometimes we can't control what we see. But if we see something that we shouldn't see, what's the call? That we don't think on those things. So when it talks about the unmarried here, the admonition is very clear. We need to avoid moral impurity, fornication. Fornication only happens prior to marriage. After marriage, what's the Bible call it? Adultery, right? So Paul is specifically dressing here these people and the importance um, of staying morally pure. Now go down to the end. Go down to verse 32 with me. Again, he's talking to the unmarried. He says, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. He's making it very clear that one of the special gifts and opportunities of singleness, of being unmarried, is the opportunity to be, have more time, have more energy, have less cares and anxieties about serving Christ. So to the unmarried, he says, be morally pure. Secondly, be focused on your relationship with the Lord. Make it your priority. That doesn't mean if you're married, it's not a priority. But Paul is addressing here, I think, how you and I can abide in our callings in these different areas. Let me give you the third one here for sake of time. Look with verses 18 through 20. All of a sudden, he goes from marriage and the unmarried to, Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is what? What's it say? It's nothing. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Do you realize Paul is saying here? That, and this can be true of all of us. We may come from different backgrounds, different religious experiences. 
Here he's obviously contrasting what? Jew and Gentile? Circumcision and uncircumcision? That's the context here. And he's saying, don't focus on past religious duties or externals. Focus on what you are today and what you're doing to obey God's word. Are you reading God's word to fulfill a requirement? Or are you reading God's word to find out how you need to live and what you need to do to obey? Do you see what we're saying there? Boy, it's a whole different thing. The exciting part of reading God's word every day is to see what God expects, demands, and wants of us. And he will give us the grace to what? Do it. He'll give us the grace to do it. And so Paul here is making it very, very clear that you and I need to be growing in our obedience. Second Corinthians says it this way. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold what? All things are become new. He wants us to have a new daily desire to be in the word, to obey the word, and to show God's word working in our lives as a witness and testimony to our family, as well as to those that are around us. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, when you read about modern day, meaning the last couple hundred years, people that have really stood out for the Lord, it's always because they obeyed God in the calling that God called them to, even though that calling might be very difficult and very challenging, even in some cases, death. God is saying, listen, there are things in the past we need to get over. But for the present and for the future, it all boils down to what does God's word say? Am I doing it? Am I abiding in my calling to be a growing Christian? If you're a single person out here and you can get married at some point in the future, Don't just settle for somebody else that's a believer. Are they a growing believer? Are they going in the direction of Christ-likeness? Are they striving to be fully surrendered and yielded to the Lord? Last thing. Look at verses 21 through 24. I don't know if we've touched on every verse, but... Going back and forth, I know it's a little difficult, but I felt like this chapter had this one main theme, abide in your calling. And Paul wanted it applied in these four areas because they had obviously written to him and expressed concern about how to do that. How do we stay faithful? How do we abide where God has called us to abide? How do we stay in Corinth, this wicked city, and survive? Notice verse 21 through 24. 
Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Paul is making it very clear here that these Corinthians, many of them that had gotten saved, were in a position of, the word servant here literally means slavery. They were being and were slaves. And they wanted to get out of that. Paul is saying, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can abide in that calling because in Christ you are free. Be the best slave you can be. But if you're allowed, if it's permitted for you to be able to change stations in life, we might say, go from being an employee to being the employer. There's all kinds of applications I think we could say there. Um, The importance is from this text, we abide in our calling And what is our primary calling? Be a servant of God. Be a servant of God. That's how we find genuine freedom. You're working in a difficult place to work. And you feel like you've got unreasonable authorities. And you have things that are really hard to take. Picture yourself every day, ultimately, working for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many hard things did he experience? far more than any of us will experience. And he always kept his focus on doing the will of the Father. He had a heavenly focus. I wrote this down. Never forget the price Christ paid to make us free. What a price. The ultimate price. So here here are our takeaways from 1 Corinthians 7. I encourage you to read it. I know I skipped around. I think I covered most of the verses, but I wanted us to think about it in terms of these four applications. If you're married, if you're single, no matter what your past religious experiences were, and your station in life. So abide in your calling in marriage by being continually growing in your kindness. Continually. Some of you couples here today. You may need to recommit your lives. To just showing. Acts of kindness. Sometimes we get so busy. Doing acts of kindness for others. We forget about our own household. If you're single here. Remain pure. And keep your priorities on serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Living for him. In your daily walk, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Your station in life, realize you serve a master in the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you and cares for you and only wants the best. So to be a servant of Christ is not a demeaning position. It is a 
significant position. It's what God has planned for each and every one of us. Is there some way God has spoken to you this morning about abiding in some aspect of your calling? Marriage? Singleness? Your walk with the Lord? Your station or your job in life? What is God saying to you this morning? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.